Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, electionary-based preaching resource, designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so, how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Jenny Mills, and I'm the Secretary for Education and Learning in the United Reformed Church, and am host for this series of podcasts. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the political uh, and politic, the pulpit and political landscape. Today, I'm very delighted to be able to introduce the Reverend Helen Cameron. Helen is chair of the Northampton District of the Methodist Church, moderator of the Free Churches Group, and one of the six presidents of Churches Together in England. Helen spent many years in ministerial formation as a staff member of the Queen's Foundation and has a real heart for humanism, denominations working together in mission and ministry. It's with delight I welcome Helen to our podcast today. Hello, Helen. Nice to see you. Hello, Jenny. It's lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us today. So politics in the pulpit, when you hear that, what does that mean for you? And could you tell us a little bit about how you might identify yourself or whether you identify yourself as a pulpit politician? I think I would uh, in that I don't think you you can exclude it uh, because the whole uh, of life is caught up in politics and therefore uh, God's care for the earth and for all people uh, means that uh, we must inevitably address issues of injustice, uh, concerns for us, concerns that we weep over and God weeps over too. So I don't see how you can exclude it. I'm of the uh, Catherine Booth uh, School of uh, Preaching, uh, where she would say, you, you know, you can't have, um, you can't exclude God from politics. And mm. if you do, uh, you, you're in trouble. Uh, as, yeah. as a world. So um, I, I can't, I come from a tradition um, that's always emphasised social holiness and, you know, you can't be holy without uh, and devout and, and faithful without uh, attending to the world around you. So, yeah. And, and so in your many and varied roles um, and the context in which you find yourself both both locally, nationally and often globally, what, what do you what would you wish us to hear as the key justice and um, justice and political issues or events that you see uh, and you, you feel are high on the agenda at the moment? I, 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 that's a lovely question. Um, I think I would want to begin um, with two key phrases of truth and righteousness and um, I feel really strongly that within our own nation and our own engagement uh, at the moment, uh, veracity, truthfulness is becoming a key theme um, of whether we can trust what is being told to us yeah. uh, and what is being said to us. And I think I feel increasingly strongly that uh, a world that's constructed on, on untruths um, it is a world where you cannot trust to put your foot on solid ground. Um, and therefore, even when truth is painful and difficult, we need to be able to say it to each other. So truth, mm. truth telling, truth telling wow. is becoming increasingly important to me, uh, both in our own nation and globally. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, you know, I am concerned with what is happening in terms of the erosion of, of 
of, of well-fought battles around uh, the human rights of every individual being eroded. And yeah. um, I was fortunate enough to go to uh, Poland just a number of weeks ago um, and visited former uh, ghetto sites in three cities in, in Poland, worked and interacted and was in dialogue uh, with, with Jewish uh, leaders and and with uh, religious leaders in Poland. And uh, finally ended up um, in the place of horror and murder that's Auschwitz. And um, you cannot do that uh, without coming away with the notion that if you see human rights being eroded, even an inch, you have to be vigilant and you have mm. to notice it and you have to truth tell about it uh, because very quickly an inch becomes a mile. Yes, yes. And and I think the truth telling is, is so important because because if 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 you you start wondering what is the truth and, and what isn't and 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 yeah. it's that and it's being sold to alternative facts as well a lot of the time and things are being reframed to us perhaps in, in ways that we as you say we need to be vigilant i think that's a really helpful a helpful word for me um each week my, our friends from jpit uh, offer um some some uh, issues from around the world and i'm just going to share with you now uh, their their offerings for this week there was a shooting in Copenhagen over the weekend, which has killed three people. There's no suggestion of a terror attack, but it's another instance of an attack and a shooting which will shape, shake a community. The IFS are reporting that half of children in lone parent families are in relative poverty. And uh, there's a lot of reporting of that going on. The war in Ukraine, uh, the key region of Luhansk has fallen to Russian forces and we see that uh, that that growing uh, force in that war. The Environment Agency has pointed out that greenwashing by businesses is compromising efforts to prepare for climate impacts. And the Environment Agency chief hits out at greenwashing. A report from the Resolution Foundation highlights that in the UK, we're living with an inequality surge equivalent to the 1980s, alongside 15 years of income stagnation which is why some groups are now particularly exposed to the cost of living crisis and why more and more people are feeling that they have no voice and so are turning to strikes. Last week, we also saw the question of Scottish independence raised once again as Nicola Sturgeon announced plans to hold another referendum. And some of those things we have raised have already spoken into where uh, to, to the issues that you have raised with us. We're also in the, the fifth Sunday after Pentecost or ordinary time, depending if we if we uh, if we follow those uh, times of the year. But it is a time of um, reflection and a time for us to be able to, to to think about other things rather than maybe some of the key festivals that we find ourselves celebrating and uh, and and being part of. So. As we do each week with our metaphorical newspapers in one hand and our Bibles in the other. I pass over to my guest and I ask you, where would you like to begin? Is there a particular a particular passage that you'd like us to start with? And I look forward as you lead us through these texts. Thank you. What a lovely invitation. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to surprise people, perhaps um, I certainly surprise myself, um, in that I want to start with the psalm. And um, I come from a tradition that, that doesn't always read the psalm or sing a psalm. Um, 
and um, I always try to read it to see uh, before I, as I'm preparing to preach, to see what it does uh, say to me and how it connects with the other texts. Yeah. And um, this week, Psalm 82 <clears throat> is just um, an extraordinary uh, psalm. It may not be very familiar to people. It, it, it isn't one that we've turned into a hymn and, you know, sing readily because yeah. it is a, a psalm that reflects the period in which it's written. It, it assumes a, a polytheistic understanding, more than one God. God, the supreme God, as it were, is uh, reigning over others, but um, you know the people uh, are appealing to other gods uh, uh, as well as to Yahweh. And uh, it begins by saying God takes his place in the divine assembly in the midst of the gods he gives judgment. Now, that, that notion of there being you know, more than one God um, is interesting for us when we live in a world of, of conflicting uh, understandings and different understandings about the nature of God. But then there is this extraordinary uh, series of verses uh, uh, criticising the voice of God, criticising other voices given authority by the people. And that's when the psalm starts to hit home. There's a really profound question being asked, who do you give authority to in your life uh, and, in, and in your world? And the psalm uh, in verses three and four uh, just says, um, yeah. what really matters is that you do justice for the weak. What really matters is that you rescue the weak and the needy and set them free. It's yeah. a call to liberative action. And um, it is a very powerful psalm and um i do wish i was preaching this week because actually that's where i would take my yeah. i'd probably take that as my text i think yeah um, it was incredibly powerful it's kind of this it is like a little gem in the middle isn't it yeah. and it's like it, it it's almost um, i mean i know we're going to go on to talk about amos but it almost is it is one of those that why are we not repeating this like we repeat some of the amos stuff like we repeat some of the well-known yes. phrases because yeah. What would the world look like if we did those things? I think so. And I think I found it helpful to consider whilst this is written a very long time ago in a world that isn't. Well, except I was about to say in a world that's very different from ours, <laughs> except that uh, we live in a world where people give authority, all kinds of people and things, authority over their lives. Yeah. And um, that, that call to say, you know, the authority needs to be given to a God of justice because actually that way the weak are protected and those in most need are supported yeah. and upheld. You know, I, I, I connected it with the phrase in, you know, in the New Testament about principalities and powers. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, I was reflecting on, on online gambling this week and uh, addictions of various kinds where actually people in their lives are under the, as it were, they have given away their own autonomy to something else. Yeah. Uh, and, and the damage then that does to them and to others. So and um, increasingly so, it feels, doesn't it, at the moment, because hmm. because uh, the last few years have kind of put people in places where mental health is, is difficult and people are, are reaching out for something that gives them um, some sense, albeit briefly, of of escape or release or relief, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And um, uh, it. it well, one could reflect at great depth about what is it we encounter in the world that we that appeals to us or we give authority to. And um, 
also there's some interesting stuff there around autonomy and interdependence you know how do you live a life in a way which doesn't separate you from others but actually brings you into community and fascinatingly that connects with the colossians which took me a little bit by surprise because i thought it would be the amos and the yes. gospel that would really appeal to me um and yet wow. uh in colossians you get uh, i mean there's a lovely you know classic beginning of a of a letter that says to a new to a church community you, you know that gives thanks for them and, and, and sends greetings but but then addresses something about how we are to relate to one another how we are to feed each other now, there's a question in a time of food banks. How are we to feed each other? And, and the question is not just spiritual. It is physical. How are we to feed each other? And there is this glorious phase in the Colossians. Um, you know, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power. May you be made strong with something that can be trusted, that can be relied on that is actually bigger than we are and bigger than actually that which we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So that that desire for the Christian community to be made strong with what really matters. Now, I, I find that that's another text I wouldn't mind preaching on this week um, <laughs> about what, what do you think makes you strong as a church? Mm. What, because actually... Um, it, some people, for some people, it would be numbers. Yes. It would be money. Yes. <laughs> how much ministry they can afford, how much yes. in, influence they've got. What makes a church yes. strong? And the other lessons, of course, the other scripture readings really make some quite bold challenge to what is strength. Yeah. And I loved the, um, in the Colossians, the yeah. faith, love, hope at yeah. the beginning, and then the knowledge, wisdom, understanding, kind of, here's the beginning and let's just go a bit deeper. And and I love that with with your, with the, the sort of exhortation to us. Do you think that uh, with the way the world is at the moment, some of those things, we kind of struggle to hold on to some of those sometimes, don't we? Because we feel a bit beaten down. Yeah. And, yeah. and that that may yeah. be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power. What a, what a as you say, what a great message to a to a congregation, particularly in some of our traditional churches that are struggling, as you say, struggling with with decline and COVID and numbers and all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody said to me this week, the church has got long COVID, and um, <laughs> I, I, I recognise that I've talked about the post. Well, we're not post-COVID, are we? <laughs> the, the church, the church after the worst of lockdown, yeah, um, actually being frail and being fractious at, at yeah. times. Quality of relationships hasn't always been uh, as you might expect. Um, and, no, and uh, some of them, some of them are highlighted now because of the break and the change, yes. aren't they? I yeah. think so. I think because people aren't being with each other, they're out of sync with with the fact that actually we're all frail we've been isolated from each other and therefore forgotten that it's not just us that's frail, it's other people. And therefore some of the expectations people have had in the life of the church are a little un unreasonable. And um, I think the, 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 there's a, a lovely opportunity to reflect on what is strength. What, what is it that we're called to be? And that's where the Colossians really helps 
that we're called to be hopeful people, to be people of faith. We're called to be people who live the command to love, not just ourselves, but our neighbours with heart and soul and mind, with all of our being. Mm. And the rest will follow, as the Colossians makes clear. Yes. If we've got the foundations right. And I'm passionate that every small church is not a failed large church. If it's a small but faithful church, it's yes. faithful. Yes. Um, and um, I am interested, and I'm sure somebody is doing the research, that actually some of the smaller church communities have done better post-COVID than some of the larger ones which have experienced greater loss in terms of those who've returned to yeah. worship. And that reflects quite strongly that where people, where the community is smaller, then actually the pull to be with each other has been stronger than those that were loose, more loosely connected and larger. So yes. the Colossians would make a fascinating study around COVID and, and, and the church and what really is it to be strong yeah, and the um, we we we've got in uh, verse um, five. Uh, anyway, the fruits five or six about about the bearing the fruit and this idea that it, we we talked about this the other week. The idea that that the fruit the fruit is a result of living in tune with God's way. That comes that comes as part of the flourishing, doesn't it? So if we get the relationships and we and we look out for our neighbour and, and we do those, it then then the fruits come the, the and, and i thought that's a lovely image it's not about it's not about endeavoring to get those fruits or strive to they come from a from a, a right way of living don't they a, 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 a community way a way with justice and peace at the heart of it yes and we need to be able to recognize them when we see them you know i come from a tradition where john wesley who was quite conservative in some areas would actually say, if I can see the fruits of the spirit in this, then I'll change my mind. Right. <laughs> I, wow. I, and did, you know, yeah. over lay preaching, over women preaching, you know, and, and so on. So um, yeah. I, I think you need those who produce fruits, but you certainly also need those who discern them, who can yes. recognize them. And again, truth telling, name them for what they are. Yeah, that's yeah. really helpful. That's really helpful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So um, if we may turn to Amos. We may. <laughs> um, the first thing that hits, uh, did hit me about Amos um, not, was not that it's just about a plumb line, but it's, but it's about walls. And um, right. uh, in the world in which we live, um, there are walls, aren't there? A long time ago, I visited the uh, east of Germany. Right. While the, wall, the wall between West and East Berlin um, was still up. Yeah. Um, and went through Checkpoint Charlie. Uh, and then there is, of course, a huge wall um, on the US-Mexico border. And there is the wall in Israel-Palestine. And I could go on, couldn't I? You could. You could. Walls. Yeah. And the walls, of course, are this great symbol of, of separation. Um, and Amos puts his plumb line up against the wall. And um, at this point, uh, you know, newspaper in one hand or iPad and, and Bible have to be held together because you can't begin to speak about walls 
uh, and and the people of Israel and and prophets without actually thinking about the world as we experience it and and those uh, who are excluded by walls yeah. and are oppressed by walls and of course you know this week we've heard um, of yet again this huge atrocity of of people in the back of a lorry migrants uh, trying to cross yeah. one of those borders that we've already mentioned and perishing uh, as a result and the movement and migration of people for safety across all kinds of barriers that might be the sea or it might be a land barrier is i think going to be the great the great test of the others in the 21st century that we can that we must find just ways to live with each other um now in in the account in amos uh, the prophet has prophesied previously in other visions this vision is of a plumb plumb line up against a wall and plumb lines uh, measure uh, height and depth but they they can determine if something is straight yeah and true yeah. or whether there are ir irregularities you know that are making the wall uh, less strong in its purpose of 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 defense because something is out of true now um i always uh whatever commentaries i look at uh and i will use a variety i always check before i've preached that i've read one particular uh commentary uh series okay. of commentaries which i just want to mention um which is called preaching god's transforming justice and oh. their scholars from across the world um, will contribute uh, a reflection and uh, one of the things I read in preparation uh, for this conversation uh, was uh, a, a gentleman called Claudio uh, Cavalas, uh, South American in Mexico okay. who opened this passage up with 30 migrants um, oh. uh, uh, who had come from Mexico across just to the other side of the border. And um, he, he has, he had therefore opened this scripture with them. And those who were construction workers talked about what it was like to find an irregularity in the wall. Um, okay. And, uh, and then just comparing scripture with the plumb line, um, that the Bible is the thing that balances our lives and reminds us of when something is true and just yeah. and when it is not. And of course, um, the plumb line in this vision of Amos is showing how out of kilter, yeah. <laughs> out of balance, how wrong Israel is in the way it's engaging. Yeah. Now, um, the idea of uh, a group of migrant workers sat with this piece of scripture saying, what is God saying to us in scripture about our own situations and how God is present? Uh, I find I find fundamentally necessary. I, I don't think we can read this without the help of those who know what it is to experience walls. Now, I think each of us in our own way have experienced walls. I, yeah. speak, I speak as a woman minister to another woman minister, and um, I'm a lot older. Uh, but <laughs> I do remember 
you know, what a battle it was in the early days for the idea of two ordained women sitting on a screen talking scripture together and preparing for preaching on Sunday would have been remarkable. Now, it isn't now, but it was then, and in some places it still is. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, I just think I always want to know, therefore, as I look at scripture, whose voices have I listened to? Yes. And I'm just enriched by having listened to Claudio's account, that's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I find it fascinating in this reading, you know, Amos speaks God's words. Yep. And 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 immediately they want yep. to silence him. Yep. And and that that feels something that is just yeah you've got social media you've got you know you raise issues you you write letters you write whatever and it's no don't want to hear it because it doesn't fit in with the rhetoric of me or my government or do you know what I mean and, and I love the fact that you've taken us on a global a global level because I think that's really important we get very individualistic and we get very sort of country centric don't we so I think it's really helpful you've taken us globally. But this idea that immediately they've silenced him. Yeah, they have. And you might want to think of responses we've had. You, you know, um, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury was not popular no. for making comments about the Rwanda scheme. No, immediately. And, and why would the church get involved in politics? Why would it was the church such a refrain, wasn't it? It was. It was. I mean, the absolute... Um, I, I mean, a huge misunderstanding about the place of the Church of England and the state church. Um, you, you know, there is a reason why uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury is, in fact, in the House of Lords, however, whatever one's own view about the House of Lords is. Um, but nevertheless, the idea that the church can't, um, I mean, get you back, doesn't it, to the original um, comment of people like Desmond Tutu that, you know, you if you feed the poor, you're a saint. And if you were asked why the poor has no bread, um, you're a communist. Um, uh, issues of justice and, and, and righteous living are fundamental to scripture. And we see them in the Psalm, we see them in Amos, we've seen them in Colossians, and in yeah. a moment we'll turn to the gospel. And um, this is what it is uh, to live life uh, God's way. Uh, which is to seek righteousness for every person, not just for ourselves. Yeah. And to listen to the voice of the other is fundamentally important. Um, in all of the debate that we're having about migration, I don't hear migrants' voices very often at all. And I'm extremely concerned that the response to the situation in Ukraine, which I'm glad about that people are being um, uh, uh, rescued and finding security. But I cannot get out of my head the images that show people of colour being pushed off trains and coaches when they were seeking sanctuary. And why uh, Homes for Ukrainian Refugees is receiving such good publicity, hooray, yeah, but yeah, we absolutely. have Afghan, Afghan and Syrian refugees in hotels yeah. uh, with no chance to work and no chance to cook their own food. And why, why, why do we treat refugees who look like us yes. differently? Yes, and that's a are. really and and that's a really hard. I mean, it's a really really important question, isn't it? And it's yeah. and but I think I've heard it asked in a number of places, and and depending on, on where you are. 
it's it can be shut down so quickly can't it so yeah. it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm not glad about the Homes for uh, Refugee Scheme for uh, for Absolutely. anyone from Ukraine. Um, yeah. Passionate about it. But I'm interested that if you um, have come from a different location yes. and you've fled war and yes. you're an unaccompanied child um, uh, migrant, you're treated yes. very differently. Yes. And I think that gets me to the gospel, if I may. Um, the gospel passage, which is Jesus' story of what love looks like, which is the story of the Good Samaritan um, yeah. in Luke. Uh, I, I, it's a passage we will all have preached on lots of times. Yeah. We will all have heard it mangled lots of times. <laughs> um, I taught a primary school, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. What interests me is what people do with the stories that Jesus tells. Okay. They're always looking for Jesus or God in them. <laughs> and uh, we don't ever stop to say it might just be a story that actually happened that Jesus heard about. You know, we always make it a metaphor. Yeah. Because actually, what is the reality? And so I'm back with Desmond Tutu again, I think, you know, where Desmond Tutu says, you, you know, if you're preaching this in my context, you don't begin with exposition of the geographical uh, you know, location and the topology and, you know, how many feet, that, you know, this road was from um, above sea level, you say, what are we going to do about that Jerusalem to Jericho road and people getting injured on it? <laughs> you begin in a different place, depending on your context about the story. Yeah. Now, people always presume when they read the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is that the Christ figure is the Good Samaritan stopping, caring for the wounded man, binding up his wounds, that's religious language we get, taking him to an inn, providing resources for him to be cared for, that model of rest and restoration and healing, that's a narrative we get and understand. Yeah. And I think I want to say, what happens if the Christ figure is the man beaten and left in the ditch? Thank you. What happens if that is God? Um, because that, if 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 we want strength to be explored, we want it to be in the healing, restoring figure. But actually, the narrative of Scripture about God's dealings with humanity is that actually the wounded one is Christ. Mm who needs us to rescue and to be. It just turns everything upside down. If you actually look at it slightly differently and you look at it from the perspective of the wounded, not the rescuer. Yeah. And I think the Christian church in the West, primarily in the North, global North, has tended to presume that God, the Christ figure and the church is actually identified in strength and healing and restoration as opposed to the experiencing of being beaten and wounded. Wow. Thank you. I, I think in this one as well, we always identify ourselves as the Good Samaritan. Oh, yes. Whereas actually we should identify ourselves much more as the priest and the Levite. But that's really powerful, that, that, that strength in suffering. And I think that's really... Um, that that's really it's really powerful um 
and as you say, to, to, to carry you through when you are in those times where actually it, we have we've kind of domesticated Jesus, haven't we? And he's a nice bloke or whatever and, and, and everything's going to be OK and come to faith and it's all going to be OK. And actually that idea of of, of Christ in that the, the suffering and, and that sort of almost a, a, a pre a prequel of, of Christ's suffering in this story is really, really powerful. I, I'm really appreciative for that. Thank you so much. There's a couple of authors who uh, have just come to my mind this morning. One is James Allison, of course, who talks about um, uh, the, the, the wounded Christ. I mean, he he makes this provocative comment that maybe on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognise Jesus because actually he was so beaten up by the crucifixion. Now, he, 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 there's just a tentative question there. You know, why do we assume? That they failed to recognize him because they were dim. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or weren't expecting him. But actually, is he recognizable? Actually, because he's a he's he's being tortured. Do we recognize God in the yeah. tortured individual? Yeah. And, and then I think um I, I, I'm also left with Sebastian Moore, who talks about the Christians rush for the resurrection. <laughs> away from the crucifixion wherein lies our salvation yeah. and um that's why we were quite keen to be the good samaritan rescuing the wounded man and taking him off to the inn whereas actually the call of the church may be to be wounded as as others are wounded and that means actually um that that might say something i don't know to the post-covid church or the still covid church yeah, and that sense of coming alongside this, this, this love your neighbour, come alongside, yep. be together instead of instead of coming. And I think it goes back to your what does strength look like? Yeah, you know, the the church has historically done the stuff for those people out there or whatever. And actually, now more and more we're we're seeking, I I, I believe, to try and ask the question: What happens when we come alongside each other? Uh, I was at a, a, an event the other day with Kathy Ross from CMS. Mm. encouraged us to seek community in different so a fellowship of the unlike and actually what happens when you when you when you encounter others because what happens is you end up being changed as much as as anything else don't you but that sense of what are you trying to do what does strength look like i think is a really helpful uh, image to leave us with well I, i'm I, i've been moved within this conversation you, you, you know i i began my um my ministry and a major part of my ministry in theological education where the difference that we were working with was an ecumenical one i'm increasingly uh, becoming interested and involved in how uh, uh, how actually you know ecumenism christian ecumenism mean, means nothing if it doesn't lead us to greater engagement with those of other faiths and of none and um uh, we, we should have no sense of having arrived, but actually being at an early part in a journey in our interreligious dialogue in terms of um, uh, how we really explore the different perspectives that somebody might give us from another faith altogether. Oh. And it's um, that, that suspicion of the other uh, is something we have to let go of. We have to abandon. Yes. I mean, actually, in the story that Jesus tells, that's what it's about, isn't it? it, it that there is a suspending of uh, the usual attitude towards yeah. two people of different 
groups. Yeah. And they, they surprise each other, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah. really, the Samaritan and the, and the wounded man. Thank you. I, I have a feeling we could go on and on, actually, and I would really love that. Uh, but but, but must, I do have to we must draw this to a close. I do have to draw this to a close. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and reflections. And and, and thank you for giving us um, the, 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 the global insights and also for those that are preaching this Sunday. And as you say, it, it really is one that you could you could you could go for and, and ask some wondrous stuff and really that some of the Amos stuff I, I just found myself going we're still in the same place and how does humanity move on so you've really given us a lot to think about so I've just have to say um, a few things about the politics in the pulpit podcast uh, and so for those that are listening to this or watching this please leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast and uh, share this with your friends. We know that you are a passionate and knowledgeable crowd, and we'd love to uh, see that engagement on Twitter, which is uh, at pulpit underscore politics, or using the hashtag politics to the pulpit, or on Facebook community through which you can access um, through the joint public issues team page. Um, and also, why not let us know if you've used some of this resource for your preaching uh, we'd love to hear how um, that has been that has uh, affected your preaching this week. Each week we ask a question, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Helen's question about what does strength look like? And I think that can be seen on so many levels, can't it? As as us as individual Christians, as collective communities of of Christian believers, but equally um, as as people of faith in this quite troubled world at the moment. So what does strength look like? So we go into our politics and our pulpits ending with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, as we proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the word truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Bye.